everyone. Welcome to the DLC Drop Podcast. I'm excited to have my guest, Ralph D'Amato, with us today. He is an original member of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater video game development team, worked directly with Tony for a number of years, and also produced a documentary on the video game as an indie film producer. He's going to provide some great insights today. Let's talk with Ralph. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, my friend, Ralph D'Amato, excited to have you today on the DLC Drop Podcast. Um, Stoked to share your story, what you've done in the video game industry, what you've done in the film industry. Why don't you say hello to our audience, tell them a little bit about you to get started. Hello. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. Always love coming on these these podcasts. You guys are kind of dominating the world with these things. So it's awesome. Trying. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Ralph D'Amato, producer of Pretending I'm a Superman, Tony Hawk video game story documentary. It just released just a few months back and previously was a producer at Neversoft, worked on the on the first eight Tony Hawk games, which was pretty exciting. That's incredible. I know that Tony Hawk Pro Skater has definitely been a staple of culture. What I learned from you, and we'll go back to our story and how we met, but is that Tony Hawk Pro Skater was not only significant from a skateboarding standpoint and broadening that audience, but from a music standpoint and really be either the first or one of the first video games that had real music in the soundtrack is that accurate? Am I stating that accurate of, for the audience? One of the first. There were there were a few other. I mean, there were a couple others that that came before us. Street Skater was actually a skateboarding game that that had that featured songs. I think it was from The Offspring and some other punk songs. There was an arcade game, Top Skater, that had some some songs, some music, you know, uh, soundtrack in it. But for the most part, at the time when Tony Hawk came around, the video game series came around, it was still adding music into a home console video game was still kind of in its infancy stage. It was yeah. new. Part of it was technical. You know, you had a you're you're working on a CD, you know, you're burning CDs on PlayStation 1. So in Nintendo, you had a memory card that got filled in, you know, pretty quick. So you had constraints on what kind of content you could add. And part of it was, you know, I don't know that the genres of of gaming, I mean there were genres that could definitely fit with it, but there was so much electronic you know, just eight bit music and stuff that filled in that gap. So it wasn't as necessary. So, but with skateboarding, you know, you definitely have to get the feel and sort of the feel and the vibe of skateboarding is is the music that comes along with it. And that that was an important part of the video game for sure. Yeah. And I know for just about anybody who grew up playing this game, those songs are so iconic and they they take you back to that moment because you're trying to do a trick, you're trying to beat a level, you fall you got to start over and then that music that kicks back up again. So I know that it was incredibly beneficial for the artists who whose music was involved in the video game. Was that a strategic decision to have these bands or was it another reason that maybe it was more convenient or a last second thing that became something much larger? No, I think we we always knew that like when we were developing the game when early on you know, it just sounded so empty with just with you know with just the sound effects of skateboarding and some environmental environmental sounds, you know, limited as you could have in PlayStation One days. So it it definitely filled the gap and gave you that feel. So I think it was music was something that we wanted to add from the get go. Once you know the first track was added in, 
and you know, you, you, the point you bring, I think in the first game we had maybe nine or 10 tracks. So it was a repetitive thing. You're playing hours and hours and hours of this video game and you're hearing the same nine, 10 tracks. So that's why these things kind of got burned into your memory along, along with the, the video game. And so, I mean, even for me, when I hear specific tracks that come on Spotify, I'm like, well, it just takes me right back to where I was when I was, you know, when we were making the game or, or at that particular time of, of development. And so I'm sure, I, you know, I know the same happens. We've heard it from people, you know, that it happens with them. They kind of get this, the music kicks in and it's this nostalgic feeling. And, you know, that's why even in the documentary, music was so important to us to have that, that actual music. I don't think it would have given the same feel having, you know, just a different variety of songs that, that didn't give you that experience. Absolutely. I, I think nostalgia, I think senses connected to nostalgia, I think smell and hearing are two of the things that really bring those things back. So before we get too far into it, I want to share with the audience how you and I met, because I think there's an interesting story here. And I, I don't know, maybe some lessons learned about how connections and opportunities can come from yeah. just about anywhere. And so yep. I'll share my version and then I'd love to hear yours as well. So I was at the marketing arm which is a global agency headquartered in Dallas. And I was a producer in their content studio. So I'm, you know, creating campaigns and commercials for AT&T, Nissan, State Farm, GameStop, et cetera. And later that I was put on the GameStop team and then went to GameStop. And that's kind of a, a big, you know, launch in my career, as a lot of people know. Yeah, absolutely. But I was, I remember vividly sitting at my desk in the content studio at TMA and I was on the Ride Channel website. And that's where I would go every day to look up yeah. the most recent videos and everything. I remember seeing Tony Hawk Pro Skater documentary announced. And I was like, man, you know, I remember growing up with Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Obviously, I've been a skateboarder since age 11, sponsored rider since 14. I skated with Riley Hawk one time when he was like 15 <laughs> years old at the Morro Bay yeah. Skate Park. <laughs> And I reached out to you and I said, hey, dude, I'm a skater. I'm a producer. One of our clients is GameStop. If I could help, I'd love to. And then from there, you know, we developed a friendship. We went back and forth on, hey, how can I help you here? I, I went to GameStop. We, we tried to get some funding unsuccessfully, but I was successfully able to connect you with the barracks, which became a key partner and enabled a lot of these relationships for you to bring people in. But what was your side of that story? I'm super, super curious. Yeah, no, I mean, if I recall correctly, I got, you reached out to me via LinkedIn. Is that? Probably. Yeah, I, think you hit, I think you hit me up. You messaged me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, that's sort of the way the, the, the film was. There's a lot of that serendipity. I've got in touch with a, a lot of people. Once we did that Indiegogo campaign, it put the word out there. And then, we were getting hit by a lot of different people. And I got that message from you. And obviously, you know, you worked at GameStop and that kind of, we were looking for funding and I, what, what more natural of a sponsorship than that. But yeah, you know, that didn't work. That didn't work out, you know, all good. Everything was great. But then we started talking and you had a contact over at the barracks, which was another great connection. You know, what, what yeah. I was looking, we, Ludwig and I were looking and thinking about places that we could actually do all of these interviews and you know what better place than the barracks? So yeah, shout out we, Lance Hacker, who Lance yeah. is awesome, also an associate producer on the the documentary yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. So 
I mean, through that, you and I just started chatting back and forth. You connected me with Lance. Um, Lance, you know, kind of was awesome. And he kind of got the okay to give us, I mean, honestly, almost the run of the place at the barracks for those days. We, yeah, they shut it down. They didn't let people skate. And, you know, we were bringing in, you know, I was bringing Muska down to the barracks and I was, you know, I was bringing all the different skaters down there. So it was cool for them as well. It it was a great partnership for us for sure. And, and it was, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I, we had no, I had no idea this was going to happen or this was the pathway. Right. But it kind of gives you that, that, you know, that, that, that meme, I don't know if you've seen the meme where it's like, you know, the, the direct path of success, what you think is a straight line, but it's really (laughs) this, like just all over the place. And, Sure. You can't plan stuff like our relationship. It just happened. You saw this thing on the ride channel. Yeah. Which coincidentally is another product. Like I used to, so after Neversoft, I worked for Tony for four years. We yeah. started a, a website called Shred or Die, which then became the ride channel. Okay. <laughs> so that all, that all spawned. So through that, you saw this, you reached out to me on LinkedIn. I mean, and to be honest, that's how the entire film relationship director producer between Ludwig and I happened. You know, he was a content creator on YouTube and I saw one of his amazing documentary, you know, ask videos of the history of the Tony Hawk video games. And I shared it with a couple of the developers. I shared it with Tony. He had already seen it. And then I was like, you know, my wife was like, you should reach out to this guy. And I did the typical like, no, no, no. And eventually I did. And that sort of started our relationship over, you know, over the course of the years. So I think the one thing is, you know, there is, you never know where people, where these connections, where contacts and where different relationships might lead. Yeah. So in my opinion, I try to bolster, I try to, you know, until it's something where, you know, it's obvious how oh, this person is just looking for something to buy or sell or something, you know, Right. but with you is you were just really honest about, Hey, I'm really passionate about this. I could tell your passion and, and I like surrounding myself about with passionate people that, that are passionate about the same thing I'm working on. And yeah. I could tell you were, you know, regardless of, the fact that the GameStop thing didn't work, whatever, you were still in the game and wanted to help. And, and so I was, you know, I was totally appreciative of, of that. We made, we gave you an AP, AP spot on the film. And Thank I mean, you. honestly, yeah. it was a huge, it was a huge help to the entire film along with the fact that, you know, not only the, the barracks let us use their, their facility, I don't know how much of this I should actually put out there, but they actually even let us use their red cameras. I mean, we, we used Incredible. all of their equipment, yeah, wow. their equipment. So you know, the film was shot on red because of that relationship that, you know, you reached out to me on LinkedIn. That's how it started. That's awesome. And I think there's a, you know, broader story to hear of resourcefulness and also being like communities first or others first. When I look at, you know, you're an indie uh, film director and, you know, that's a lot different than producer. being... Ludwig's a direct. Yeah, he'll Sorry. hate it if I if I call myself. <laughs> <laughs> My mistake. Sound guy. Can we can we cut that out? Ralph is an indie film producer. producer yeah. There we go. And that's a lot different yeah. than being part of a major studio and everything, right? And yeah. I I think oh. it's probably a little bit similar to startup life, where a lot of it, it's there. There's no book, you know, to tell you exactly how to do it. It's all about how can you find ways to get things done. And then I think the other lesson here is, and I try to do this as much as I can, and it's enabled me to build a great network and be valuable to a lot of people, is all I knew is that you were doing this film and I wanted to find a way to help you. And 
it took a few years, but fast forward, now I have this AP title and I have my names in the credit of this amazing documentary on Tony Hawk Pro Skater. And it's just, that's a bucket list thing for me, you know? And yeah, so it's, something it's I can build on. Item. Yeah, it's a forever item. It's never going to change, you know? And it, all, and it all came out of your passion of that subject matter. And you decided to do something as easy as just, you know, type up a message to people. So I, I totally encourage people to do the same. Like if there's something you're passionate about, reach out to them, you know? Yeah. You, you never, they could be just as passionate as you are. And it just becomes this, you know, this mesh and it's this huge launch pad of your, of what you want to do. You know, it's, yeah. with, I mean, another, another big example of that with the film is with the, you know, with the skaters, I had relationships with a lot of the skaters over the years, you know, I worked with them over eight years. So getting, Tony and, and, you know, cab and, and Muska and these guys to sit down wasn't that difficult. I, you know, once I got the schedules, obviously getting everybody's schedule was, was a challenge, but once I got, they were all <laughs> no cool. They're all in, they're in the game. Whereas like the, the musicians that I reached out to, I had no contacts with any of them. So I just, I started off with the info ads a lot of time on wow. the webpage and it was, they were passionate about the Tony Hawk series because you know, bad religion, they, they got a lot of plays off of the fact that and a lot of, you know, a lot of fans off of the fact that the, the song Prima, same thing. And yeah, I mean, Goldfinger for sure. You know, it, it was, and if you watch the doc, even Feld even says it, it was the launching pad of his band. So it only took that because they were passionate about the same subject that, and they, they knew that I was, you know, doing this thing. So even though I just dropped the random hey i was a producer on blah 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 at their info at page i got responses and it ended up with getting booked you know i mean we were gonna i was gonna go interview les claypool if we had enough budget to go up north but that, yeah you know, that'd be incredible that, yeah that didn't happen but i was still like love to have done that but yeah it's just a matter of doing it just get just just whatever you whatever you want to accomplish don't let i don't know if he'll respond or i don't know if they'll who cares? Just yeah. send it. What's what's it going to what's it going to cost you, you know? Yeah, you're not going to get what you don't ask for. And I think sometimes we can idolize people, we can forget that everybody's human. You know, yeah, even these yeah. people who have achieved great success, you know, they mm -hmm. still have problems. They need complimentary people to satisfy this that and the other. You might have yep. somebody who's a musician who's world class, but outside of playing that instrument, <laughs> yeah, they're probably yeah. no different than you and I. No, no. And you see it, I think you're seeing it more nowadays than you did when I, you know, way back when, you know, pre all social media, Yeah. because, you know, Twitter has brought people closer to, I mean, you know, there was Dan Rather tweeted at Tony Hawk. I'm like, Dan Rather tweeting at Tony Hawk. <laughs> it was a few months back. Like, when would that happen? Right. So I think that's, that's brought things, you know, people closer together, but don't ever be afraid of, oh, you know, rejection of, I, if you're afraid of rejection and that, and that's keeping you from doing any type of communicating, you're never going to get anywhere. Just, just let it out. And if you're passionate, like you were about, about the subject matter, I could tell from, from your message and you weren't asked you, I think one of the biggest things is you never asked for anything. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you never asked really for, you just wanted to be a part of it. And I, yeah. and I was like, yeah. Hey, and then, it, then it became apparent. Okay. We got to give this guy you know, got to give this guy a title. He's, he's helped so much on this film, you know, not that, you know, not that indie filmmaking is, you know, 
you're making an abundance of money at, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not, it's a big hole. You dig the hole and you throw money in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's but, talk a little bit about this. I, I want to uh, share with our audience, you know, what is it like to work in the indie film industry as a producer? You know, what are some of the differences from what you've seen with some of these major studios or, you know, also for our young people who are listening, if they want to become filmmakers, they want to become content creators, they want to make you know, content based on the things they're passionate about, they've experienced, what are some of those steps down the path that they can take? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a learning experience from the, even though I had like, I don't know, 20 years of production experience from, you know, video games and websites and apps and, you know, worked with all different kinds of brands and from Activision to, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica, Sesame Street, I made apps for Sesame Street, just all different stuff. Going from that to movies, the the all of the experience in management and scheduling and budgeting and all of that stuff really came over quite well. Mm. But there's so many different things and differences that you have to learn about each industry that are that are challenging. You know, there there are different requirements when you submit films to platforms. There are different requirements that you have to learn about. So it, you know, it's it's a matter of of trial and error sometimes, and you try some things and you talk to people and. My big thing was I tried to surround myself with people that that I trusted, that were friends, that also had more information that I than I did, and then they might have had additional people that they trusted that they could turn me on to that I could get more information from. But it was even then, you know, there were plenty. Of, we we made plenty of mistakes. But my view at, at my age now is, you know, if you you're not going to learn anything if you don't make mistakes. So every mistake you make, just chalk it up to, you know, hey, that was a learning experience. I know that's not the process anymore and and I move on. So yeah. We did, you know, we we bounced around a lot with with the different ideas of how to get how to get funding. That's always, you know, obviously a big one is the biggest aspect of of getting anything done is is the the budget what kind of budget you you have and and right. utilizing your budget to its fullest that's something that i've been very good at my entire my entire career and personally <laughs> so yeah. that wasn't as much of an issue but it's still when you're the sole producer and you're it's all on your shoulders like you know when i was running a budget at activision the last the last for instance the last soundtrack on project 8 was about a half a million dollars right Okay. Set a half a million dollar budget for all of the tracks that we needed to get in. It's not my money, you know. Right, that's but a lot I different, know, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but, I, but as a good employee, I know if I can if I can make the but if I can spread that as much as I can, and he maybe even save some, that just helps the profitability of the company. And right, you know, back then, back then, video game industry used to profit share. <laughs> you know, give it's you a lot different than now. Ro- royal, <laughs> there were a thing called royalties back in the day. I don't Interesting. Know if that exists. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that exists much these days. But yeah, I mean, you're still looking over those things. But when it's your money and you're putting it out and it's your credit cards, it, it's, you know, it adds gray hairs to you. And, and you've got to really be careful of, of what you're, what you're, you know, what you're con- contracting to and what you're putting out. So, but I mean, that was similar. There's just a lot of, a lot of the film industry things, especially post-production and then getting into, you know, submitted into a platform that that's a huge learning experience. Yeah. But, you know, for anybody that wants to do it there, I read a couple, you know, there are a couple of books. I read things online. I took a lot of information from a lot of people that, that 
I spoke with friends of friends. You know, I connected with Ludwig, which was a huge positive. Even though he's a very young director, he's very knowledgeable. And, and you know, he was, we were both green, but together we kind of battled through a lot of the things that, that needed to happen. But, you know, the bottom line is we never, ever, ever thought that this is, we're not going to do this. You know, hey, right. let's just, yeah, this, this is not going to work out. We're going to stop. No, no. We might have had arguments of direction and, uh, you know, I've gotten into things just like producers and directors do, sure. but we never were going to stop. We were going to finish this thing. And, and that's, you know, that's the biggest thing I could tell anybody. If you're making your first video con- piece of content on YouTube to, to your, your epic, whatever movie, finish yeah. everything. And, and even if it's, you know, the first one you make is not going to live big's first video that he did about the Tony Hawk series is nothing compared to this documentary. Of course. So, you know, you just, you keep on moving forward and getting better and finishing, finish, don't leave stuff, don't leave stuff, you know, halfway done and, and that kind of thing. That's the yeah. waste. I think that's a, a great lesson. That's been something I've been experiencing as I'm been on this new entrepreneurial journey for myself the last six, seven, eight months. And a, a big learning for me is, look, don't wait to think that you know how to do what you're about to do. Try it. And, you know, failure, quote unquote, first of all, failure could have a lot of definitions. But secondly, is when you're experiencing these things, that's how you're learning. You're on these phone calls and you're with for me from a consulting standpoint you know i'm on these phone calls with these clients and every f- single call i have i'm getting better at what i'm doing and i'm fine tuning you know i'm yep. collaborating with other consultants and i'm saying oh okay this is what their presentation deck looks like this is the questions that they had in the introductory call oh this is how they're setting up the schedule with the client to set mm-hmm. expectations etc and i think perfection can be the biggest barrier to progress where we, yeah. we, we also, we have this irrational perspective of the, the people out there who are doing it that we see on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter, that they really know every single thing that they're doing yeah. because the end product <laughs> looks so good. Yeah. And if you yeah. would go, I, I'm a believer actually that some people do know what they're doing, at least to a degree. But, you know, if you would go behind the scenes, you would see a lot of people just exercising that resourcefulness and just figuring it out, saying, how do we make this happen? Let's collaborate with people who have a complementary skill set. Like you're talking with Ludwig, you know, let's find who are the pieces of the puzzle. How do we make this happen? There's no rule book to do it right or wrong. There's Mm -hmm. just getting it done to the best of your ability. Yeah. And I think you, you know, I, I, I definitely consider myself somewhat of a perfectionist. I like getting things like in their own tidy, my own, you know, my wife will tell you, I got a little bit of the, the OCD, but as a producer, you have to come to the end of a project. (laughs) Good point. You cannot, yeah, you have to have, and that's, you know, that's why a schedule as even if you're not a producer, you're just, you know, your own, you're a creative. And I know creatives hate schedules, but you have to put something out there in front of you that says, by this time, I want to be completed with this. Mm. Otherwise, you know, I, I can't remember what the doc, I think it was Indie Gamer of, or one, one ga- video game doc that I, that I watched. It was, a, it was a guy that was making a video game and, you know, he's a programmer and he started getting through it and he was doing his own art. He was doing just like, you know, 8-bit, you know, just like low-end graphics. And by the time I got done with it, he realized that, wow, I'm really much better at art than it was at the beginning. So 
I'm going to redo all the VR. Oh, wow. So then he spent time and redid all of the art. And then by the time he got back, he realized, well, I'm a better programmer and I got better art skills. I can make this functionality better and then redo some of the art. And it just kept going and going and, and never, you never finish. So you have to finish. You have to put a line in the sand, whether it's whatever it is. And I've seen it. Yeah. You know, I used to call it when I worked on apps, when I worked on apps or when I worked on websites, I'd call it, or even video games, feature creep, you know? Oh, you know, oh, we did uh, this. Huh? You, know, you know what would be cool is if we did this too. Yeah, okay, version yeah. two, let's finish version one. <laughs> yeah, what I found, I've produced a number of products from, or uh, productions from animation to live action, all sorts of things. And what I typically found out is when the project ends is when the client runs out of budget. Yeah, <laughs> cause it's like, yeah, and that's, or the deadline that's comes. That's unfortunate. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Cause you know, you need some budget post, you know, at the end, you know, you yeah. gotta get, you gotta get things marketed. You know, you can't just finish. And that's a thing. Like you get, you finish the app and like, Oh, we're done. No, you need money to get the word out there. You can't just, people aren't just going to figure it out on their own. You know? So it's, it's, that's one of the things is coming with an end point knowing that there's an end and that might drift back and forth, you know, obviously budgeting and, and things can make it drift back and forth, but you always have to have a, a finish line, be done with it, put it in the can and then move on to the next thing. Otherwise you're never going to, and you, there, there've been albums. I mean, there are musicians that have been working on albums for like 30 years. <laughs> it's never yeah. going to come out, <laughs> you know? So Dr. It, Dre, you know, I'm looking for yeah, that album. Yeah. Come on. I mean, what's, let's put what's it out. the use? What's the use? You know, it's like share it with people, but there's also that, you know, fear of, Oh, I shared and they're not going to like it. Well, then why'd you even start the project? Yeah. Absolutely, man. That's been such uh, an eye opener for me because over the last seven months, I I put out content almost every single day on LinkedIn, and it's a number of things. It's and it's not about me; it's about the community, which I think is important. I I was really hesitant to start my own business because I didn't want to be this self promoter. I didn't want it to come off like, oh, I I think I'm awesome or I think I'm great or something. And what I realized through the help of a coach is, if if the if the content is about the community and it's really helping people, it's not something that comes across as prideful and arrogant and things of that nature. But w when you're putting out any content, whether it's that consistently or, or just a big feature film uh, documentary like you did, well, you're putting yourself out there. You're opening up yourself for criticism. And one thing that I realized is my satisfaction on the content I put out there and I want to get your take on this, the satisfaction of the content I put out there is not based on the response of the community. It's how beneficial I feel it is and how strongly and passionately I feel that this is a message that needs to be shared with the people I'm connected with. Yeah, I think that's super important. I mean, that's that fulfills, that's, you know, that's at a point where I don't care about views, I'm fulfilling my stuff. You know? That's right. I'm, I'm, and and. And I think if you do that enough, if it if people see that passion and then it becomes, you know, then the views come, you know, it, it, yeah. I don't, I think too often people are are just concerned about, oh, I only got three, th I only got, you know, a hundred views on that last thing or 50 views on that last thing. I'm going to give up. Well, you know, I mean, okay. So what, what about the next thing? So the next time you hit any kind of wall, you're just going to throw in the towel, you know, they're there are, are top-notch content creators that miss and their misses obviously are still hits for most people, but, <laughs> for <sure. laughs> but, but they miss and, and it just happens. But I think if you stay true to what, what your, what your message is, 
and what your your passion is, it, eventually it, you're going to find an audience, you know, providing there, there are people that are all, you know, you have, and I think in this world, regardless of what you, what you do there, you're going to find an audience for something. So it's, that's right. Uh, yeah. It's just, I think keep, keep it going. Don't get discouraged. You don't know that that next thing that you do could be the viral hit that sets your name in there and, you know, and, and you're on your way. So that's, that's kind of been my career, my entire career. I didn't start off as a producer. I started off out of college as a, as a sales guy. I was, you know, professional sales. I did sales for a variety of different companies from computer hardware back when, you know, one gigabyte hard drive was $1,500 yeah. to, <laughs> to, I worked for CompuServe and did network service. I'm really aging myself. So <laughs> like that, that career, my first but eight, nine years out of college was what I thought I was going to do. Got completely changed from a phone call from, from, you know, someone that said, Hey, I know you like video games. I know you're, 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 you're a huge video game user. I need some help in managing some projects here. Do you want to come and help? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm a big believer that there's no such thing as a big break, but there's such a thing as a breakthrough, meaning that you never know when it's going to happen, but it's the result of consistently over time taking these steps and at some point, you know, it does, doesn't mean everybody's going to be financially successful or a millionaire or whatever, but whatever your definition of success is, if you keep at it consistently and you, you're self-aware, you, you adjust where needed, it's going to come sooner or later. But two things that I really want to make sure that we cover on this episode, because I think it'd be super interesting. The first thing is, and we can tackle these whichever order you want, but the first thing is, I know that Tony Hawk Pro Skater was a little bit of a surprise as far as what a hit it was. So I want to hear a little bit about, you know, being on that original team, you know, and as the game grew. The other thing I want to hear about is what is it like to work for the Birdman himself, Tony Hawk? Because yeah. I know it's always yeah. interesting to have that inside perspective. Yeah. So the first one, you know, we were pretty heads down on the video game at throughout development and Activision really left us alone completely. And we had no, there was never any, oh, Activision wants this or it, because the game itself was, wasn't really supposed to, I mean, it was just supposed to be a small video game. It wasn't supposed to do that <laughs> yeah. many sales, you know, maybe make a couple, you know, a couple million payback what, what the, the dev cost was. It wasn't, so the bar was, which is, this is another thing. <laughs> And I, you know, I don't know, I, and people could, could hate on me for this, but I listen to Howard Stern and one of his big things that he's been a pretty successful guy yes. is go work for a, a, a company or, or a project where the bar is really low. <laughs> you know, if you go in, if you go in right in and go and work for, you know, go at Blizzard and work on Call of Duty, you know, it's up, up above here, you know, it's so true. The bar was super low. So when the mm. bar is low, you don't have a lot of the pressure, although we internally felt the pressure of making a really good fun video game. There wasn't this, you know, the Activision was a corporation, but we weren't getting any kind of any of that pressure on us. So we were free, free to do whatever we wanted from from the gameplay to the artwork and Silvio, the artist that, that was on the first few, he even mentions it in the doc, he had a lot of freedom to, to do whatever he wanted. So that was that was awesome. And and we were developing in a bubble when we first started to notice that this might be something is when we started bringing in focus testers. Yeah. And back in the day, it was a lot different than I don't know how they do focus testers now, but I would 
I was actually responsible for getting the testers in. And I would actually just go to the elementary schools and junior highs and put on those little, hey, you want to test a video game? Pull up his phone number. <laughs> there you go. And kids would call. Resourcefulness and, you know, yet again. To, yeah, <laughs> Nowadays, I'd probably, I'd probably you know, go to jail for doing something like that. I'm sure I'd probably go to jail for something like that nowadays. But yeah, these kids would come in and start testing the game and we weren't getting a lot of criticism. Mm. We were getting just overwhelming praise. And we were at, to the point where you know we we're trying to get pointed questions. Like, but do you think that was too hard? Trying to get this? some criticism, right? Yeah, was that not fun? <laughs> yeah. Did you not have fun doing that? Like, so that was a little bit of it. And then when that when the demo came out, the, the jam pack demo, the Pizza Hut demo, that was and you know, Chris Roush says it in the documentary that there was a Final Fantasy game on that same demo, but everyone was talking about the Pro Skater demo. So mm. that then, you know, opened our eyes to whoa, this thing is this demo is hard. You couldn't even get the demo. The demo sold more copies than a lot of games that year. Yeah. So that wow. that was yeah, that was a big thing. And then you know, when it came out and we saw the first, you know, it wasn't as dynamic as, as it is today where you get the weekend sales, whatever. It was a little bit more delayed, but we saw sure. that, you know, it risen to the number one spot. Then it was just like, wow, we've got, we got something here and we we're getting video game articles and, you know, covers. That was a big thing back in the day is getting covers on magazines. Um, right. When, if you could get a cover on the magazine, you're, that was, you know, that was it. You're, you're set. So we were getting a lot of covers and then, you know, and that we had already had a punch list of things we didn't do in one that we didn't have time to do. Mm. So that just started two. that started up Pro Skater 2, that punch list. Yeah. Question for you there. Was there already a plan to do a second one or was that result of the success of the first one? Yeah, it, there was no, we were never told, hey, this is going to be a series. No, we're making a one Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. We're making one video game. Yeah. But it became pretty apparent after the demo. And then I... I can't remember. I'm not exactly clear of the entire all of the timing, but I I believe after the demo, I'm not sure if it was before or after the demo, is when Activision purchased Neversoft. They bought Neversoft. And then it was pretty apparent, like, okay, we're probably gonna be making these. And then the game came out and it was like, we're gonna probably be making these for as long as people, you know, as long as we can make keep up the level of of fun and keep up the level of quality. And and people keep buying it. We'll probably be making these for a while, which I was stoked on because I, you know, I, I, I don't consider myself a skater, but I, you know, I was a, I skated when I was a kid. It was yeah. you know, the mid late seventies. I had a plastic board. I watched Tony Hawk. I used to. I watched all the Bones Brigade videos. Yeah, and I was a fan. I used to go. There was a there was a skate park here when we moved from New York to California in, in Orange called the Big O. Mm -hmm. We didn't skate it because I was totally like, I'd go there and be like, oh, but my brother, my dad would take my brother and I, we'd just go and watch on the weekends, just check it out. So I've always been a big fan of it. So it was, it was kind of a match for me. I was stoked. I was like, I'll keep doing this for as long as we can. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we didn't really know for a while that, Hey, this is going to be sort of a, a thing. That's super cool. Yeah. The, yeah. One of my favorite memories of Tony Hawk Pro Skater is not of playing the game, but actually feedback I got from somebody. And so when I was in high school, I skated for a, a skate shop called Onshore Board Shop in Visalia in Fresno, California. And, you know, we had the guy who ran the shop who was a skater. And then we had the investor who didn't skate, which is how a lot of these uh, businesses are structured. And I remember going to the the shop. I don't remember which version came out. This was probably, I want to say 2001-ish, 2002. I remember going to the shop 
And the investor guy was there and he's like, hey, what's up, John? And they were playing. They had set up in the shop where you could play Tony Hawk Pro oh, Skater. Game, yeah. yeah. And he's like, John, I played Tony Hawk for the first time the ever the other day. And now I see the world like you do. I see handrails and stairs and all. <laughs> I was yeah, like, that's like, so sick. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, the skateboarders see the world in a different way because we see skate spots everywhere. And yeah. I think that's something amazing that the game did is it opened up skateboarding to an audience uh, to enjoy it and appreciate it who would not otherwise. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure along the way, we had a bunch of people breaking teeth and bones that shouldn't have been on skateboards <laughs> at all. I know we did it sure. on the dev. I know we, we did on the dev team. We had a couple ACLs and guy tester that busted his teeth out. But yeah, I mean, it, it was the same for me when I would, when, you know, I'd go to Vegas or something. Oh, this, that would make such an amazing level. You know, you're, you're looking yeah. at things like fantastical because now you're looking at, you know, the pro skater and you're like, wow, that would be amazing. And now you see kids doing these, some of these things that are, that are, would never have been thought of back, you know, late nineties, you know, that especially a lot of the, the grind tricks and combo grinds and just insanity right. that, that these tricks are. I mean, my nephew, is, he just turned 18 and he is at his level of skating. Now, if he was a skater back when I was making the game, it'd be like pros wouldn't be doing these tricks. You're not doing like. Yeah. You know, kick flip 50 50, he'll flip out. I mean, that's just like, a, oh, yeah, it's standard. I'm like, standard? What are you talking about? <laughs> Dude, so there, it's, it's, yeah, I was on uh, Instagram the other day. Shane O'Neill is one of my favorite skateboarders. And with another video game that came out recently, he was doing a challenge. And it was basically like, okay, do this, do this trick in the game and then film yourself doing it in real yeah, life. Yeah, in real life, yeah. And it's so insane how much skateboarding has progressed. That I think one guy did it, he did a crooked grind, nollie flip in the middle of the ledge, and then landed crooked grind again and popped out. And it's like, bro, that I don't know if no I could sense. do that in the game, much no, less I mean, that's like, in I mean, person. Those were, you know, those were Kostin tricks back in, you know, Minik Mahdi. Like, out of that video, yeah. when you saw that, you're like, Oh, whoa. And now he says, my, my nephew sends me videos and I'm like, are you sponsored? Are you, you know, do you want me to help you? No, I don't want to sponsor. I'm not interested. I'm not good in enough. Donkey. Like, I'm not, I don't, I'm like, are you crazy? And he sends me videos. I said it, I said a couple of like Cab and Tony and yeah. then they'll send me, whoa. And, I, and I'll send it back to him. I'm like, look, these guys think you're good too. And he just, he just doesn't care. He just skating for his own enjoyment, his own fun. He's like, you good know, for him though. It. Yeah. But he's he's super good, and it's it's amazing, just like you said, how how much is it's really progressed a ton. It's it's uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's I'm crazy. so glad that I was born and started skating when I did versus now because it's so gnarly. Now I'm yeah, like, yeah, man, it is being yeah, able to jump down a ten stair and do do a couple flip tricks yeah. uh, got me a certain oh, man, way. You see, but. Yeah, you see some of the stuff like Jaws is doing, bro. Man, I I don't understand. I you know. I, I love the guy, but I just, I worry about him. <laughs> I know. I, I honestly, <laughs> yeah, I think being a pro skateboarder might be the hardest way to make a living. And, you know, I, I had For limited sure. success. I'm actually kind of glad I had some injuries and I wasn't a little bit better to take me further because you see some of the behind the scenes of these videos now and you got homeboys standing at the top of a 20 stair handrail looking mm -hmm. down it with the, the mm -hmm. filmer telling him, Okay, these are the tricks that have been done. Backlip, Smith yeah, yeah. grind, crook. Yeah, yeah you gotta do insane. a yeah. You gotta flip in if you want to make the magazine cover. It's like, 
Oh it's my insane. gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. I mean, when I was, I, you mentioned working for Tony, I'll segue to when I was working at Please. Tony's jaws came over and he, he ollied off the vert ramp, like off a 13 foot vert ramp to, it was a, a box. It was like a fun box. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're not like supposed to be able to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, you asked how Tony was as a boss. Tony was awesome. I mean, I, obviously he, as a person, he's, he's an amazing person. He'll give you the shirt off his back. I mean, he's, he's yeah. extremely generous as a boss. He's, he knows what he wants and, you know, he wants to get it and he wants to, you know, just like, just like in his skate career, he wants to, he wants to dominate whatever we're, whatever we're doing. And yeah. um, my, it's kind of a funny story. My first, when I, I left Neversoft, I'd sent me- emails to, and this is another thing that I tell people, another piece of advice. I sent emails to everybody that I worked with that I, Hey, I'm leaving Neversoft. It was great working with you from, you know, from people to Activision to vendors that I worked with to yeah. all the skate, all the skaters. And, you know, I sent one to Tony and probably 20, 15, 20 minutes, he had sent me an email back saying that he was looking for somebody at his, at THI to, to work there for, they're bringing on, what was it called back then? It was mobile. It was, they had a mobile play and they're bringing, they needed somebody like a producer or director to help them with this mobile play they had. Cool. And back then they were talking 2006 mobile play was ringtones and, you know, customized, Hey, this is Tony. You've reached John's yeah. voicemail, leave a message, you remember those things. So I told him, yeah, hey, I'm in. I just, I, you know, it was eight years of not really having much of a summer vacation. So I needed to go. So I took off to Italy for like a month or so and then came back, started working for him. And when I came back, that was right around the time all of the uh, the carriers, they, they basically canceled all of those third-party vendors and said, hey, all of this ringtone business that you guys are making all this money off of, we're going to just bring all of that in house and you guys are now all obsolete. Dang. <laughs> but, you know, fortunately for me that they had already paid Tony and that, you know, it was already the contract was already done. So they had money in the bank. And so my salary was already paid for. So at that point, Tony said that he wanted to have a YouTube style website that, that would be just for action sports, snow, hmm. surf, moto, skate, and uh, yeah, snow, surf, moto, skate. And what was the other one? Moto snow surf moto skate. I think whatever. that covers it. Yeah, not rollerblading. <laughs> no, not rollerblading. <laughs> no, no, no. So that's yeah. So we created a. a we started off, you know, just kind of like we always do with productions, come up with a plan and draw it out and stuff. But then we partnered with the folks from Funny or Die. Yeah. And and we created Shred or Die, and it was a pretty awesome website. It had a ton of really cool content. We uploaded. We had producers that would that would give us content and you know, we'd upload new content every, every week. And this was still, you know, we weren't going to ever beat YouTube, but YouTube was not like it was today for right. sure. And, you know, traffic wise, we were top, you know, we were one of the top skateboarding sites out there. I mean, there, which isn't saying a, a ton back then, you didn't, you didn't really have the barracks yet. I so, think yeah, you was, had, did you have Heliclips? Was Heliclips yeah, one of the yeah, ones Heliclips, out there? Yeah. I think that was one of them. And there was, what was the other one? Uh, gr- the Grind, gr- something, gr- oh, I can't remember. Sounds vaguely some familiar. Yeah, but some, yeah, there, and, then, and then we were, we were always going against Transworld and Thrasher and all of that, but they yeah. weren't really putting out the, you know, video content was still not, you know, not everybody was doing their own player and not everybody put everything on YouTube, you know, anyway. Right. So, yeah, so we built that up. And working with Tony was just amazing. I mean, it was, it was, it made, it opened a lot of doors, obviously, because you're, I'm sure I am working with Tony. 
Um, yeah. Got to go to a bunch of awesome parties. He, he had this, when we were the thing, he, he did a deal with T-Mobile and they did this massive launch party. And it was, I mean, it was just amazing. It just, it, you definitely got that taste of, of the celeb aspect that Tony has, but Tony doesn't ever, I don't know. I never got that from him. Like he's just always seemed like a regular guy. We'd go to, if we go to lunch and he'd be in the middle of a biting a burrito or something and somebody asked for an autograph, he'd stop. Yeah, sure. You know, and sign the autograph. That's cool. Yeah. He was never, never not approachable or, or any of that stuff. Although, I mean, if it was me, I, I don't know how I could, <laughs> thankfully it's not, but I, I don't know that I'd be able to handle like my privacy that way. Big time. Know? Yeah. Yeah. There was, but he was awesome. I was curious too, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, opening doors, you know, I, when I worked for GameStop and they gave me title head of partnerships that opened a ton of doors for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, big company, a lot of revenue. You must have a lot of money to spend. I want to talk to you <laughs> essentially. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I have, yeah. I have friends who have, you know, I don't know, repped like concerts for, for Virgin and, and worked with some other celebrities and having that name attached to you. I think it's, there's two dynamics here. One is leveraging that, making the most of it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the yeah. other, I think, is the understanding too that a lot of people aren't talking to you because of you, at least initially. Yeah, you have to get by that. <laughs> and you gotta, well, some people, because some people will work with somebody like Tony Hawk or, or GameStop or something like that, and they'll, th they'll think, oh, yeah, I'm the man. Everybody's reaching out to me. They're hitting me up. My network's going like crazy. And then they leave. No one's hit him up anymore because it's it was crickets. the brand, not the person. Yeah. yeah. And I think what what that is, is you you foster those relationships. You add value to people regardless of mm -hmm. that big name next to you. And then they start coming because it's you and they appreciate yeah. you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, you know, being, you know, just being true to yourself. And, and you know, one, one thing, Joel Jewett, who is the, the president of Neversoft, he was also an amazing boss, a strong leader. One of the things that, you know, I came from sales to, to video games. Yeah. And, you know, Joel, one of the things he told me, and I would never have heard from my sales manager at the time was, hey, you got to always tell the truth because it's the easiest story to remember. Right. And it's totally true. It's, <laughs> it's point. absolutely, it's absolutely the truth. If you keep on making stuff up and you tell this client or this contact one thing, eventually they talk to someone else like, what, what do you mean he wasn't in Mexico? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean even, you know, that kind of stuff. So For sure. being, being honest and delivering, here's another big tip, delivering bad news as early as possible when you mm. have bad news to people, you know, not delaying bad news. You know, I think that and, and not burning bridges. You never know yeah. when people could come back into your life. I mean, I worked with I worked with a lot of people at uh, at Activision and at Neversoft, and you know, uh, with some of them, they're still my good friends. But there are folks at Activision I hadn't talked about uh, talked to in in quite a long time, and I, I end up making a documentary, and then now these people I'm talking to again, and it's just you never know. You never know who you might end up working with talking to and and you're totally right about the the you know using somebody else's clout it's it's not yours there's the proper way i, I worked with tony i worked with other i i did a lot of consulting with with production companies that were trying to make video games and they had these big licenses and i would help them and one of them was was cristiano ronaldo and when you're working mm, with cristiano you, <laughs> you know i never actually spoke with cristiano ronaldo but i'm working on a video game for Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. 
if I, if I ever got into my head that I would have, you know, one million, the cloud of Ronaldo, I mean, it just right. it clutters the process. You just have to know, you have to know that you're staying in your lane, know what you're doing and do it to the best of your ability. And these people, you know, his agent and other people, I you know, keep in touch with him. I might do something, Pedro, I might do something with him in the future. Cool. But, you know, it's, it's just, that's kind of, that's kind of my, my message on that thing. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Before I let you go, is there, you know, I love to have my guests share an insight on innovation or, you know, what they see in their industry that's that's coming next or what people should be prepared for. You know, you're an expert in your industry that a lot of the, the audience loves and respects, but they're not experts themselves. Is there something along those lines that you'd love to share with the audience? You know, I, it's, I, 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 really don't consider myself an expert in the film industry because this is the first. So I'm far from that. But I I can tell you that, you know, the whole COVID thing has shaken up this industry quite a lot. And I'm hoping that people learn from what's happened and and better adjust and adapt to, you know, it affected it affected us. It affected all kinds of, of people, all kinds of products, all kinds of movies that have come out. And I'm hoping that that we're able to kind of reopen safely and it get everything gets back. I mean, everybody wants to go out and see movies again. Yeah. But you know, I, I just think that there has to be. You've seen it with with the way streaming has gotten pushed. So I, whether or not you're you're going to see more of these digital premieres and and more of that kind of stuff is I, I think is is definitely an opportunity. I think there are people that are trying to figure out ways to, to even if when the theaters come back there are going to yeah. be people that are still not going to want to i mean i'm i'm on the safe side i you know i, I so i'm going to wait a while before even being involved in the in the industry i'm going to wait a while before i go back so but i think there are a lot of big things that are happening i'm going to this weekend we, we there's a an award show award this in tustin that we, we were nominated for Cool. It's all going to be outside. It's at it's it's at a drive-in basic area, so we're all going to be in cars and stuff. So, doing unique things like that to take advantage of the situation that we're in as much as you can, yeah, I think is helpful. But I definitely think you're going to get more streaming opportunities and different kinds of premieres that maybe the public might not have been able to go to before. Mm-hmm. That maybe they can and interact with people they would have never have had a chance to. I think it might have opened the eyes of people a little bit. Hopefully. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before I let you go, I want you to tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. How can they watch the film? Anything sure. else that you'd uh, like people to know? Yeah. I mean, our website, thpsfilm.com. You can go there. It has a list of all the streaming services that we're on. We, you can buy the DVD. I, I generally tell people to go to Amazon, um, you know, because you can get the the DVD and, and the uh, stream it from there and just search for pretending I'm a Superman. But our site, THPS Film, will we'll have everything there. And we're expanding territories. We're not. COVID has also slowed a little bit of our, you know, going out. Obviously, the filmmakers, if it was my if it was up to me, I'd one step it'd be available globally, but I don't run yeah. that industry. <laughs> sure. Everybody has to have their own control. So of course. we're we're getting, we're spreading, we're we're gonna be out in more territory soon. So yeah, just check us out. And and if you want to check us on social media at THPS film on all of the, the social media platforms, you'll you'll get to us. Awesome. We'll definitely make sure to promote that. And you know, I personally appreciate you so much and you know, just being a part of this thing that you've done is, has meant a lot to me. And I appreciate you also being here and part of the DLC Drop podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity. And thanks for, thanks for sending that message on LinkedIn. Worked Heck out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glad I did too. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody follow Ralph, thpsfilm.com. Look him up on social. Looking forward to talking to you again soon, my friend, and glad you could join us. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 